Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming from the cave in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, we have a really fun guest today, Cynthia Bemis Abrams, the host of Advanced TV, Her Story. Um, so I found this podcast from the, uh, as always, the wonderful hashtag on Twitter, uh, hashtag Potter and Family, which was recently featured in Forbes. Uh, shout out to that. And, um, which is really cool. And, um, so I just came across it. I followed this account that had followed me or vice versa. I don't recall. And I just read the bio podcast about women in, t- in and of TV and the earful of serious fun learning. Uh, so I was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. And it's a podcast about uh, the history of television through like kind of focusing on the female perspective right up my alley. So I listened to it. I fell in love. I asked her on the show. She said yes. I mean, she's covering shows from Dinah, stuff like with Designing Women, Dinah Shore. And uh, the one I first one I found was the one about like living single. And she also had a great guest on there, an author of um, Alison Klein, who wrote a, a book called What Would Murphy Brown Do, which is hope, a hopeful guest. But uh, yeah, just really fun. And the more I listen to it, like it's it's like almost like an NPR show. Like she, it's not like this show. Like I, I love what I do. Don't get me wrong, but. She works hard. I mean, there's a lot of cutting and editing and moving things around and clips. And uh, so she works her ass off for this show. And it, it's still, it's, it, it kind of blows my mind, but a, a wonderful show. So you should definitely follow them online on Twitter at TV Her Story. They're on uh, Facebook. Their website is TVHerStory.com. Check out this podcast. If you're listening to this, there's a good chance you're a fellow TV nerd like me. Uh, the network I'm on, Cortemp Arts, we have an entire podcast dedicated to uh, television, current television shows. TV always comes up. I love having actors and writers. And now it's I, I, the next thing I want to have is more media writers and people or academic types of coming on. So if you know anyone, you know, send them my way. And just a big shout out to Cynthia. Shout out to Cynthia because she put on puts on a great show. And it turns out she's a wonderful podcast podcast guest. If I had the time, I feel like I could talk to her for hours. I mean, she just knows so much. And there's some fun facts about uh, Lucille Ball that she drops in here that I had never known. And she sounds like a good lady. Uh, just so much fun. Uh, as as always, you can find me on Twitter at Let's Chat Podcast. Keep your ears open. I'm going to be releasing a Let's Chat website very soon. That's in the pipeline. And I also wanted to give a quick shout out to my friend Jacob Pollard, past guest, new friend, because we met in person. We went to a PRX, which is, you know, public radio, has a podcast garage in Boston. And I went to a podcastmeetup.com up there. And I never gone to meetup.com and I really enjoyed it. I met a lot of great people, made some great connections. They're going to, some of those folks will eventually end up on here. So I'll probably talk about this intermittently for the next month or so. And uh, what a treat. I completely bumped into a past guest on here unintentionally. I met uh, Kip Clark, who has a podcast called Stride and Saunter. And it was a mind fuck. I mean, doing this podcast for almost four years and just to out of the blue meet a random person in the world. I mean, it was a podcast meetup in Boston. And when we had talked, he was like in Ohio. Anyway, just a really cool experience. What a small world. And um, yeah, I rambled on enough. Check out Advanced TV Her Story with Cynthia Bemis Abrams. And uh, let's get to it. Let's Chat with Revel and Friends is part of Court and Parts, a podcast network featuring pop culture, TV, and movie podcasts. Check out our other shows, That Pop This Live, Talking Shondaland, We Got Five, and TV Ate My Brain at courtandparts.com. Hey, blow up like the world trade. 
Attila, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner? Peace to Ron G, Brucey B, Kid Capri. Funk, Master Flex, Love, Bump, Star, Ski. Actually, I'm just, I'm just curious as a fan of I, I, I found your show on Twitter, and I find a lot of shows on Twitter that I don't listen to, but when I saw your description of uh, TV history, I was like, oh, hey, I love TV. This is right up my alley. And then it, the maybe you should kind of explain what it is to people so I don't butcher it. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, it's taken a year and a half to get, to get my quote-unquote elevator speech down, and so basically what it is now is it's um, a podcast that looks at the women in and of TV. And so we think of women of TV, the ones we see. But what we really also understand is that with regard to understanding how TV has evolved, it's the women who were in TV, who are the writers and the directors and the and the wardrobe people who have really um, been in charge to some degree of the evolution. And, and th- that's the representation and the opportunity that we need going forward. So what better way to go forward than to understand the past? It- yeah, and it's great because – so I'm 32, and I guess I didn't realize this until I was older that I grew up watching a lot of strong female uh, lead characters, which was not the norm for people that, uh, for my mom's generation. But, like, I grew up watching TV with my parents, and we loved Roseanne – they loved Roseanne and Murphy Brown mm-hmm. are, like, my two childhood shows that I cherish to this day. The last episode of Roseanne to this day makes me cry every single time I even think about it. I ugh. It gets well, me. and and now you're gonna have to watch the last episode of the Mary Tyler Moore show, and that'll make I you know. cry. Oh God, I never really saw that show because that was, and yeah, I must have uh, seen it on Nick at Night. But my yeah, parents it, watched it, a lot. It um there are there are some significant shows that feature strong female characters that have not been that were not DVD marketed the way they should have been. Mm-hmm. You know how everything went from being a boxy VHS set. I remember the boxes of yep. friends that we had and yeah. then, and then boom, <laughs> it went to DVD. And now it's, now you have to kind of find it online. And that's, and, and, and so the Murphy Browns and the Mary Tyler Moores and the, the living singles and the girlfriends of the world, they don't make it. They don't make the cut. Yeah. I read an interesting article about that. Actually, it was, it came down to, it's just, there's not enough demand for companies to make them and between music licensing and stuff because Netflix wants to focus now on making new content and like it just never made it to DVD or streaming. Like there's always a gap in time. There's a, uh, a change. Like, yeah, I haven't seen Murphy Brown in years. I'm sure I should YouTube it, but I've like, I would, if I could see that, if I could find that on DVD or, uh, Blu-ray or streaming, yeah. I would just devour there, There's it. only one season. The first season is available and, that, and Murphy Brown is one that is sort of bound up in rights because they used so much Motown. Yes. Um, with uh, Alvin, right, the painter? I would beg to differ about that whole demand thing and whether or not – there is a uh, – my daughter actually knows a fair amount about how it is that the contracts have evolved with regard to rights and um, and then the, both – you know, the, in the old days, it was just syndication because that's all there – that was the end game. And now it's – it is the DVD and the and the online production rights, and so sometimes it's just a matter of the fact that that whatever that contract was when the when the last episode aired, it hasn't been updated, and so it would just take even that amount of negotiation to bring an old show back. Yeah. When did Murphy Brown end? We're talking the eighties, nineties, nineties, has to be nineties. In ninety ninety three, something like that. Yes, that's pr- way before DVD era. Yeah, yeah. Because there's an episode of Murphy Brown that I have not seen probably since I was a kid that I remember uh, when she 
Now, now, you correct me if I'm wrong if I remember this, but did she have breast cancer in the show at some point? Yes, yes, and towards she, the end when yeah. Lily Tomlin was on. Mm-hmm. Lily Tomlin, one of my one of my favorites, and then she is uh, talks to God. She gets to interview mm-hmm. God, and I I remember that episode so well. Mm-hmm. Oh God, Lily Tomlin. And Can- Candace Bergen is one that I would um, ultimately like to profile at some point in the future. And she has two books out, one which is kind of an uh, autobiography that brought her up to Murphy Brown. And then she does this other one where she talks at length about her marriage and her family life um, as an adult and because she was married to the famous director Louis Malle. And um, and the heart, you know, the challenge for me in terms of finding material that I like because I I have to love it to want to research it for as much as I do is also understanding what my audience um, needs to learn, um, what's interesting to my audience, how to expand my audience by going into different decades, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s. I try not to touch anything too current because there's just so much out there. Shows, Shows and fan sites now really get into, you know, so much detail about a show that's currently on. So I have to do that. I want to look across comedy and serious. I want to look for the artistic value of a show. And then most importantly, I also want to make sure that I'm sort of representing the wide range of women who are involved in TV and make sure that that diversity element is there. So so I would love to do Murphy Brown, but I can do too many white women and then all of a sudden it just looks kind of tilted. Yeah, it's not easy to do. Uh, it is easy to do, yeah. Yeah, I mean... I think My, your show is uh, different though, than more than like a fan site because I just, you're coming at it with a different perspective. But yeah, uh, I, yeah, I do respect what you're saying. So it's it's tough, but there's there are some yeah because like I mean I, I I wouldn't know if I would maybe I would listen to Mary Tyler more now now that that just happened that might be more well there's there's to, three of them there for you to go to yeah. So. <laughs> That'd be a good way to learn, but like I always the 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 one that I want to do, um, and some of this is as as my show and my following continues to grow, it'll be easier to get really good interviews. I want to do Diane Carroll, who um, your mother will know, was the first African American woman to be the title character in a sitcom, and the show was called Julia, and it aired in the late '60s, and she had been a very um uh. uh very highly regarded film actress. She'd been on Broadway, I think. Singer, kind of a lounge singer more than anything, or, you know, mm. kind of a singer style. Yeah. And her career kind of fell off because how do you, how do you surpass that history that you just made at the age of 26 or some crazy? Oh, wow. That. So she was watching Dynasty one day. I, I read this in her biography. So she's watching Dynasty and she's looking at the TV and there's just a bunch of white people, right? And they're all, you know, looking great and throwing barbs at each other. And she said to somebody in the room, there's no color on in this show. And so they said, we'll call Aaron Spelling. And literally she called up Aaron Spelling the next morning and she said, I noticed that you don't have any color on your show. And he said, well, then come on in and let's figure out a character for you. That's Tori Spelling's father? Yes. For 90210 fame? Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, that's something. And he was he was a mogul at that point. He was huge. And yeah, Dynasty I know. He's was like, huge. Did, that's like, and not that's one of those all shows. of them. And those were, you know, he was the love boat and he was all of it. Oh my God. But she, you know, she was Diane Carroll. She picked up the phone and she said, You've got something wrong with your show. And then she became this really hard hard edged character named Monique Devereaux. And she went, you know, nose to nose with Joan Collins every other week. It was great. 
imagine if that's how it was today. Like, I can just call the studio, like, hey, fix your problems. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But, you but, know, but that. Hear, women need to hear that that's how you get things changed. It's true. That is true. Hey, but just imagine making TV back in that time frame when there's like three, four stations or like 80 million people are tuning in to watch stuff. Yeah. Although that meant too that the, those who controlled things, have, hence why know, it's all white people. So we have more more channels than ever before, which creates more opportunity. But it still means that um, the quality has to be there. You know, I, I look at Netflix and the original programming, and and Grace and Frankie is an excellent show that never would have made it on regular no, Netflix. There's TV. no question because they're women and because of their age. Which I don't think it's fair, but just the reality is you would never see that on a network show. They, well, that uh, and then and Martin Sheen and um, oh yeah, Sam Watterson and Sam Watterson taking on some some content that some would say it, we're not ready for prime time. I, I think men have a very difficult time, or maybe men over a certain age have a difficult time watching that show. But I I, I liked it a lot, but it's like, but it's great. What I like about that show is it's kind of like uh, well they have some great comedians too there I love Drew and Diane Raphael I love Baron Vaughn uh, so I was getting really happy I was like wow this is like this is it's taking like these le- comedy le- uh, legends I mean I love The West Wing I love Lily Tomlin and all that mm-hmm. and Nine to Five um oh, I'm sorry I cannot remember her the other woman's name right now Jane Fonda Jane Fonda that's her name and then to see like people in like the comedy world that I also like all on screen for me I'm like this is perfect yeah this yeah is that I, I hope that show has a very long and happy life, and that it spins out a lot more talent. Because with those four sort of um, anchoring the 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 focal point or the main story arc, they they just have an opportunity to really um, house some talent for the future. So yeah, that's, that's a great, great, great show. Uh, so <laughs> where where are your beginnings from? Are you from? You're in the Midwest, I believe? Uh, I am from, yes, I am actually originally from Minnesota and just had a lifelong interest in TV, celebrity, film, you know, old Gone with the Wind fan. I bought movie magazines and, and, and teen magazines and I still have a small box left, which actually had some pictures of Carrie Fisher, which I found and I was like, oh my God. Um, and, and and it, but you know the reality was you go out and get a job you know get yeah I, my degree is not is more in <clears throat> well it's not anywhere near film studies because my mother would have looked at me and it would be would have been like you're majoring in what no you need to go get a job so <laughs> my yeah. my career was in public relations oh wow which was very writing intensive and and I have always been a good writer and researcher and everything and. Sort of processed through a couple of jobs, and then as I became an empty nester, my daughter recommended to me the podcast um, by Karina Longworth, You Must Remember This. And so I listened to it a couple times, and I liked it, and I like, you know, the whole Judy Garland thing, or, you know, Hedy Lamar uh, or Montgomery Clift. And I was like, I mean, I like this, but there's, she tells the story, but that's sort of it. And I and I am a little bit more of a teacher. I'm an I'm an adjunct professor in leadership. Uh. And I was like, hmm. And so my son had over the course of time said to me, Mom, you got to listen to Battlestar Galactica because there's just like a lot of leadership in there. And I was and I, or you have to watch it. And so he and I watched. You know, uh, at least we're well into the uh, into the second season, I guess. 
watching it very sort of methodically. And then I ended up in one of my classes um, pulling up on YouTube an episode of Designing Women so that <laughs> my students could understand kind of how women dressed in the 80s. Delta in those shoulder pads. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I and, watched a lot of Designing Women as a kid. And And how... You know, Julia Sugarbaker took a deep breath, bless Dixie Carter, wow, and she would just let go one of her rants, and that was that was emerging feminism in the 80s, at, at a time when actually when you start looking at how things were happening and sort of laws and, and the political underpinnings of what we have today, the 80s were really the, the start of it, And but we didn't know it at the time. We thought we were, you know, making progress. So anyway, so that got me to, hmm. I don't want to. Bl- I don't want to write about this because nobody reads. No, <laughs> nobody it's so reads. true. <laughs> um, but I think I could do a podcast, and so I had enough background in public relations to be able to assemble and 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 to assemble and record audio, and then to at least initially edit it. So the first thirty episodes or so, first installments of my podcast, the oldest ones, are really rough because I was doing it myself. And how do your kids feel about you doing a podcast? They must be like, my mom's cool. <laughs> well, my uh, my son is in Minneapolis still, and he's I don't know that he listens. I don't know that he listens to him. We don't talk a whole lot about it. Um, although maybe he mentions it to his girlfriends. I don't know. And my daughter is uh, has a cooler gig than I do. She is uh, currently working in the wardrobe department for the spinoff of The Good Wife. It's called The Good Fight. Oh no way! New York, yeah. So she took your love of TV and went with it. Yeah, she got the she got the cool part. She got the the whole career side of it. But uh, she works hard, and oh, yeah, that's a- uh, and she's she's surrounded by good people. And that show, uh, which is going to be a bit of a breakthrough because it's going to go with um, CBS uh, streaming online streaming mm. after its second or from its second episode on. So the first episode is going to air on CBS, and then oh wow, they're really gonna because CBS is not known for making. Those changes, you know, they're right. Glacial, yeah. yeah. Because well, and things have been going so well for them. Why would you change it when you're the only network scoring their numbers? Don't. Wow, good. That's good. Good for them. Well, it's just funny because yeah. like there's people of, of of probably like a lot of parents who are uh, who would probably not even know what a podcast is. So it's always like enter- it's entertaining to me when you meet people. Like my dad's um, has like he volunteers at like a, uh, a college and he has like a, a folk radio show for the last like four years and my parents listen and they're super into it. and then it's just so funny so they've been on my show and then they have they have friends and they're like you have to check out podcasts it's so great and we're always mm-hmm. trying to get my grandma to listen because i'm like grandma it's just old-time radio i mean there's, right. a, there's anything you can think of that is out there like you could find all that stuff and like it's just people talking yep. it, it, it's it's so it's the, it's the campfire it just it's it's great. It is. I mean, there is a certain intimidating aspect to the technology. And so yes, um, I have done two things. I have actually burned episodes to uh, to CDs and mailed them to people. Well, that's smart. <laughs> um, and I uh, have also really just tried to underscore that you can pull it up on your iPad, set it on your kitchen counter and just listen to it right on Right online. Why you're doing? Yeah, I mean, personally, I'm always driving or doing the dishes when I'm listening to a podcast. I don't just sit and listen. I'm always doing yeah. something else, and that's right. That's right. great but, about it. But it doesn't have to get downloaded to your phone or your your yeah, iPod or whatever. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's just it's so funny. But yeah, but it's 
It's great because uh, I feel like my guess is that you're going to probably find a much younger generation into your show because it uh, like my I, I sent over you the link to uh, Carly, who runs the network that I'm on. And because we our network, we're all huge TV fanatics. Like we have a whole mm-hmm. TV. We have a whole podcast dedicated to tel- current television shows that we all take turns talking about stuff. And she's like, oh, my God, this is great. And she's like my age in her 30s with kids. And mm-hmm. So I mean, you, you're, I think your market is going to be much younger than you would expect. Um, it's it, it, well, and that's again, that sort of uh, guides me in the topics that I select. Even um, so, like for instance, I did two. I, I was actually kind of accounting earlier today about my downloads and my favorite, my favorite shows and the ones that really I felt I learned a lot by doing. Mm. And, uh, and two stand out. One is, uh, the one that's called I, B- I Still Believe Anita Hill, which you oh. are just young enough to, oh, no, your I, mother, I, your mother probably has some very strong feelings about the Anita Hill well, testimony. Thank, thank God for the that HBO movie they just made. Yes. yes. I, I, I knew the story, but then I just watched the Kerry Washington, uh, with, uh, the, 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 the what is it? Confirmation on HBO. Yep. A few yep. months ago. Oh my yep. God. Wendell Pierce was just incredible. Carrie Washington is a force to reckon with. I mean, I don't watch Scandal, but God damn, was she good in that sh- movie? <laughs> um, yeah, and so, so I just, you know, kind of, I sat down and I was like, wait a second, we've got moments in TV history, m- moments that aren't a show, that aren't even a single special. They just happened, and so that's how I came up with my Billie Jean King, um, which was, which you can't really find online as an actual, the, the tennis match against Bobby Riggs. You can't find that. All you get are little clips, but it was huge. And so I've, I did a lot of more like old school research, but the Anita Hill thing, I ultimately broke down her 28 minute statement into sections. And I'm then I continued to create context. And then when the kind of the last two months of this presidential election popped up and we were talking about sexual harassment and we were talking about coming forward and the, and the claims that are made against women who are making the allegations. Wow. I mean, it just, it caught fire and I, um, uh, it really, it, it really surfaced as an important work that I felt really good about. I feel like just with what happened with the most recent election only confirmed my belief in Anita Hill even more. Yes. She's awesome. She's just excellent. Yeah. I think, at least from the HBO movie, it was like it didn't seem as if it even got resolved. It was just like you're you're not going to win if you even if you're. I mean, I believe she's telling the truth, but it was just set up against her. Yeah, they, they wouldn't yep. let certain and, people test. And you see, it's weird to see a young Joe Biden who I liked as VP, but in right. that movie he doesn't come off well. It, it, it was yeah, and to and to watch it and to just see that lineup of white men was. Just so demoralizing and, and to really watch it all over again. So that sort of coincided with my being pregnant uh, with my son. So that was 1991. And it was just like, wow, I can't believe I've lived this. The other one that's fun that required a lot, uh, almost kind of I had to put on my um, my teacher hat, was when I chose to do one called Flotus on TV, um, Eleanor Roosevelt and Betty Ford. <clears throat> because neither of them, you can't find a whole lot. And ultimately, you can't find a lot of the first ladies on TV talking about anything. Hmm. 
And so uh, the 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 Eleanor Roosevelt one, which now I find out she actually had a show for a brief period of time. It was like one of those Sunday morning ones, oh. um, and it, and you can find it at the Library of Congress. So I'm like, okay, I I, I know what I'm going to do the next time I'm in Washington. But uh, so everybody you know it, people sort of know Eleanor Roosevelt. But after she was out of office and she was doing her or after FDR had passed, she's doing her UN thing. She's just this incredible force. And then she's on the Frank Sinatra show. And so you can see it on YouTube. You can hear my podcast and it just sends shivers up your spine because she's such a walking testament to everything that's good. And then Betty Ford, who got like, like just like some awesome opportunity to say a few things in 19 in the brief two years that they were in the White House that needed to get said. And she was like incredible. She was like Michelle Obama popular. Um, yeah. And and the explanation part is not just, oh, well, she's a first lady. The explanation part was is she's a first lady who became a first lady having never had to run a national campaign. Oh, that's right. And so that whole process to, to schlep around and be handled by the po- political people who were telling you, the, the, the wife, to stay in your place, to not be controversial, to just stick to the cookies and, and, and raising kids – no, she was talking about birth control. She's talking about abortion. She's talking about, you know, the, you know, it, it was just amazing. And, and they, they were a very real family and they rose up so quickly from him having been president for it, having been a congressman from, from Michigan to all of a sudden being vice president. Well, how did that happen? So I had to explain the Spiro Agnew thing. And then I kind of had to help people understand, help listeners understand what Watergate was about. And so. But yeah, this is going to be but, a class at some point. Your yeah, whole, uh, but, your TV, but your Betty Ford said these things as first lady, and she was immensely popular. <clears throat> oh, Betty Ford, and she started the Betty Ford Center. And then yes, and so she. It's it's a great it's a great segment. the The coolest part, the part that just warms my heart, because they just seemed so real. They seemed as in as in love and so connected after twenty. 30 years of marriage or whatever as the Obamas presented. Mm. And so initially she was diagnosed with breast cancer and they made the decision they were going to talk about this because this was an important teachable moment for all of America and, and everybody loved the Fords and it was a pleasant distraction from everything else that was going on. And, and so then evidently there was a televised something or, or some, there was a press crew in a meeting where Gerald Ford was conducting business, yada, 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 and a note got slipped to him, and he said, I have to pause for a moment. I've just received a note from Betty's surgeon saying that everything's okay or something like that. And you could hear his voice break up. It was just Aww. so listen to the podcast. It's great. That's so beautiful. It is. It is. And it was caught. And, and, and But TV did, was not nearly as as, well, she just she had that moment where she was not controlled, and I'm sure there, it drove staff members crazy. But oh yeah, nobody was going to control Betty, and Ger- and Gerald Ford was not going to make them do it. I get that. I've I've gotten. I think the image of Michelle Obama feels that way, and I yep. don't, obviously we don't know the truth. It it just feels like you know what? Like I just it just sure looks like they love each other. Like you know, there's just something about those two. Like I'm like I. I think they still have sex. Like there's something yep. about them. I, I, I don't, and this isn't political. I mean, I don't, I didn't get that feeling from Bill and Hillary. I don't get that from Donald and Melania. 
Barbara right. and George, yeah. and that's the only presidents I'm old enough yeah. to remember being alive for. I mean, you know, there's a bit of an age thing and everything, but there is this. That's true. They are much younger. Yeah. So. Yeah, but Gerald and Ben. But yeah, but I feel like Michelle and Barack are going to be that that when they're like seventy. Like we'll still see that. Like there's just something cool about them, like Betty and Gerald. Like I. And it's it, it is nice. Like, did you? Yep. I'm, yep. I don't know. Would you cover Good Girls Revolt now that it's since been canceled? Um, probably n- not unless there's something that comes about that makes it uh, controversial. Did you happen to see it? Um, pieces. I, my theory is it's going to be like the next like Freaks and Geeks, where like ten years from now, everyone on that show will be super fucking yeah. famous, and it's like they all started here. And it got canceled. Yep. Yep. And, and you hang mm-hmm. on to your your one season, two seasons, and you yeah. just hold – you practically memorize oh, them, whether yeah, yeah. that's Sports Night or My So-Called Life or you know, these these little little glimmers and, and – Well, yeah, and Claire then, Danes yes, and, and Jared then Leto come out of My So-Called Life. Very famous. Uh, and everyone from Sports Night basically ends up on the West yeah, Wing at some point. Yeah. Or the newsroom, which was – we won't get yep. to that one. Ugh. That show is not good. West, I, West Wing's a big fan. Um, but you see, your show also gets uh, some behind the scenes of women, uh, like showrunners. Like, when does that age of the female showrunner kind of start to take off? I know, I know Shonda right now is like the powerhouse. Was there someone before her? Or is she like yeah. the first? Um, of, what does she have? Four shows on TV right now? Yeah, uh, probably the closest one you'd have that that I would love to explore, but you know, it's sort of in the queue is Linda Bloodworth Thomason and Harry Thomason, who were kind of big during the Clinton administration um, because they were from Arkansas, I believe, and so they had Designing Women and Evening Shade and uh, that really short-lived Delta Burke. Mm. Uh, Woman of the House, I think, where where Suzanne Sugarbaker goes on to become a Congresswoman. And they had a couple others. So they, you know, Linda Bloodworth Thomason, she's still out there. Diane English, um, who okay, that's what I know created Murphy Brown, I think has had a hand in one or two others. And then it sort of tapers off. Um, none as none as breakthrough as Shonda Rhyme. I don't know the name, woman's name, but whoever uh, Jessica Jones is uh, created uh, showrunner as a woman. I don't know her name, which was a great, great amazing yeah. show. Uh, I absolutely love that. I, and I was like, good. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think that's an awesome <laughs> thing about representation where it's important to see that, uh, on screen, but also off, which is uh, off, often ignored where I think, um, yep. I think I just read that the first black woman got nominated for an Oscar for as an editor. And that's never happened before for the Oscars. And then it's like, first you're like, oh, that's great. Yeah. And then you're like, yeah, that, that, that long to get here. Yeah. Like I read something. Like Aziz Ansari was the first like um, Asian American or uh, Asian person to host SNL. I'm like, oh, that's great progress. Wait, how long has SNL been on? Forty <laughs> something years. It took you that long, Lauren. Come yeah, on. Yeah, forty five years. So there, it's that yeah. weird moment. Right. I mean, not that there was a lot to choose from. Forty years. Come on. Could have. But good for Aziz because he killed it. He did a great job and and uh. I thought his show, yeah. Yeah, um, Masters of None, it was, you know, we, you gave an Indian guy a chance to make his show the way he wanted to, and he decided to use his voice and kind of explore uh, the experience for 
uh, first generations for women, for people of color, like, and, and just did it flawlessly. And Claire Danes popped up in that too. Mm-hmm. Ah, Claire Danes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's, it, there are, there are some really cool threads. Oh, I guess, you know, from a showrunner perspective, the, the one that I did sort of profile in a, uh, 2016 passing, actually two from daytime, were Agnes Nixon, who was the, really the creator of One Life to Live and All My Children, and had a hand in a slew of other daytime dramas, and then a woman named Claire Labine, who I did not do any sort of extensive profile of. She was a writer on a lot of different shows. She created Ryan's Hope, which was very critically acclaimed. That was a half an hour, um, uh, show back in the, oh, I think it ran from like 1976 to 1997, something like that. Um, and so, yeah, those, those, those showrunners, I haven't really done that much with regard to daytime, which has certainly generated its fair share of stars and is also a, a great incubator for writing. I mean, you know, they just, at the time when there were so many of them, they needed writers every single day. And that doesn't exist uh, anymore. Do you go into deeply into the soap opera world? Um, I haven't yet. I want to a little bit more. I think that there are some really good themes that, um, so I did an interview with a professor of media studies and a few other studies out of the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and her name is Dr. Elena Levine. And she is in the midst of developing a book. Um, and this, this is a podcast actually that will come out, a segment that comes out in early February from me. She's developing a book about daytime, uh, drama and it will be pretty much the comprehensive look at not, not the shows and the people and the story arcs, but rather the important story arcs and how that, that, uh, really changed, culture changed along with the TV. So TV and American culture were kind of playing off against each other to evolve everything from the conversation around rape to um, children and illegitimate children and raising children and drug use and gambling and all of the different things that make daytime serials, um, you know, keep keep those stories going. So uh, Dr. Levine is uh, she was a great interview. I will probably be doing more with her in the future. And so she's, she, it's a, it's kind of a good catch all, but it's a good discussion that should then, I hope, bring out some interest of, well, you know, what, what is it about the daytime dramas of the 60s, 70s, or 80s, or 90s that people want to talk about that want? I don't have a ton of knowledge of those outside of watching with my grandmother. Uh, but I think it's such a, but I mean, I think they're still on, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think there's two left. General Hospital. Didn't Netflix just reboot a soap? Uh, well, I know that they tried to put all my children online, but that was like the equivalent of having a bake sale. I mean, like there just was no budget for it and, and, and people weren't ready to watch that way. On the other, and the other, you know, the fascinating thing that I learned from Dr. Levine is that how it is that she has had to find the actual segments of shows, you know, from the seventies or the sixties, because either they were done in kinescope and they are actually preserved somewhere in some archive in some university, or they are just, they literally, the tape was then repurposed a month yeah, later. My, my dad told me that famous story of, uh, I love Lucy where, uh, Lucy 
they had like they used to film on is it kinescope or and but she fought for VHS yeah, or whatever the other one was and or film and that's why we have I Love Lucy today because even like early to Doctor Who they just they yes. just like threw it away yep. or they taped over it like there's never a thought that someone's gonna see this again but uh, Lucy had the foresight to right. she's a fascinating person besides I Love Lucy being the most amazing one of the most br- brilliant TV shows she was a brilliant businesswoman I didn't, had no idea that sh- her company is the reason we have Star Trek. Yes, and that was, and that's my most downloaded podcast is Lucille Ball's Humility and Pride. So she's she's the best. I mean, that was <laughs> my dad was born the same day yeah. that little Ricky was born on the show, and every year he brings it up, and at least I, we, you know, I grew up watching that, and that that was probably my introduction to comedy was uh, I Love Lucy, essentially like that Naked Gun were the two things I remember watching at a young age the most of. Yeah, and just great. Yeah, she was a very she was a very guarded woman. Uh, you know, she comes from that generation that was very private, and so researching uh, the the material for that podcast, some of these I just kind of went into blindly. I was like, okay, I'm interested, and I see this book on the shelf in the library, so I start reading, and I'm just I I will get to the end, and I'm like, this is this is there's nothing here. You have just spent 219 pages boring me with. Nothing. And, and it took, it took layers of watching some video. And then ultimately, I think if you were to listen to that podcast, you're, you end up hearing me talk about what it is I never saw, but then ultimately backed up against news stories and stuff, what was actually happening. And so the things that Lucy never told us and why didn't she tell us? Because she was humble, because she had such pride. So like, for instance, nobody knows that the first Emmys awarded to writers on shows, both comedy and drama, came about because the I Love Lucy show was getting these Emmys. And, and she and Desi got up, and this is, this is on video, so you can go to YouTube and find it. And they basically say, we, we love, we, we, we're so glad you love our show. We love our writers. Our writers are awesome, are awesome. So then, like, literally the next day, they fired off a memo and said, if we aren't giving out Emmys for oh writers next year, we're basically boycotting the awards. Yeah, because the behind the like, writers yeah. are always just, like, the best, but, like, they never they, they got had recognition, recognition they deserved. Yeah. So, anyway, that, that was the stuff that uh, ultimately, you, you know, you dig and you probe and you probe and you dig. But that was really not mentioned in some of her – there aren't that many books on her even. And these are just things you would have been doing before the podcast. This is just your interest. Yeah, biographies and autobiographies have more been my interest. Um, yeah. yeah. And that just sort of feeds into leadership. Because once you get somebody either researching somebody else's story or somebody who wants to sit down and tell their story, mm. that's really when you start learning about character and values and their mistakes and their successes. And um, and so you get to know somebody because in this day and age, we're all so remote and we're so isolated that we don't we don't get to spend as much time with people, even the people we're related to, than we'd like to. And then when I have free time, I'm now dedicating it to talking to strangers on the Internet. But I... But in a good way. I think podcasting has helped me find a community. It's been, I love it. It's wonderful. It's, it's been a great thing. It, I, I just, I, I am amazed 
I I am not, I'm convinced I will never be without content oh, because God. there is always something somewhere that if I find it interesting, I'm just going to throw enough enthusiasm and smile into my script. It's true. And you know, that people are always talking, so. at least towards more the, I guess, some of the upper echelon of the millennial spectrum about how we have no attention span. I'm like, but out of the birth of like Twitter and Vine and those types of things, like podcasting is huge. Like I literally listen to, sometimes I've listened to podcasts that are four hours long. So like I do have an attention span. You just need to make it good or you know, it's totally there. I I will sit down. Yes. Yeah. I don't watch an entire season in a day. I I, I just I do have ADHD, so I have to get up. But I I can watch uh, a like two or three episodes of like a Marvel <laughs> show or something, and I'd have like, God, when Breaking Bad was on, I could just like mm-hmm. three or four in a row, and then I'd have to go outside because I'm like, all right, I don't feel good. I'm very anxious and I'm starting to get afraid that someone's gonna hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. I. I almost got sick when I was kind of binging Homeland um, because our our library would um, – I can't remember if that was the one where the, the box you, – you could check out the season, but it literally it was the entire, whatever, 18, 19 oh, episodes God. in a season, and you had a week to oh. watch it, and you couldn't renew it. And, and I mean, it, that, that, it's a very heavy show. And Should I – is it worth it? I remember at one point getting mad at something stupid and I just stopped watching, but maybe I should go back and watch it. I love the first season. Yeah. Um, I would say no. I, um, the, the Muslim, it, it, I would say the one point that dates it, and maybe this is just me being critical, is that I felt like they were pretty cavalier with the knowledge and the, and who the audience really was. And so there, it, you could you could you could actually watch it and say, hmm, they really are painting, hmm. you know, Muslims and Middle Eastern, you know, they're painting people with different colored skin no. as all evil. I don't know. And and, um, and do you really want to watch that? And, and, and yeah, right. That it, it's harder now than it would have been three years ago when everything was sort of safe and 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 predictable. Um, I have no interest in resuming watching Homeland, oh, and wow. I I think I made it through the fifth season. And I, I just I I've got a yeah. So my understanding about uh, well, it's kind of a, a known story. Um, so Breaking Bad and Dexter ended on the same night. I don't know if you remember that, but um, and famously uh, Walt died mm-hmm. and Dexter got away scot free, becomes a lumberjack or some shit. And Dexter went on for what seven years, <laughs> and Breaking Bad is like five, maybe eight. Uh, from what I had read online is this is hearsay is that Showtime uh, would not let Dexter die, and like the executives or someone high up in the show, basically the they didn't get. I've heard this about Showtime; they don't get to get the creative control as say like an A and E or an FX or an HBO gave. And that's you look back and look at Breaking Bad and look at mm. what FX is doing and HBO and uh, Showtime will never has never can really compete. Like their shows never. And I don't know if that's true, but I'm like, cause, I mean, part, I think the whole deal with, uh, A&E is usually you just don't make as much money, but you can kind of do whatever you want. Within reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so let's just talk for one more minute about, uh, about ca- the role of cable yeah, yeah, of in the original series and the fact that it has become such a, 
a high quality alternative to anything you'd find on the legacy, you know, the legacy stations, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And I, I did two installments on the closer. I did seasons one through five, and then I did a season six and seven, which there is a definite, I mean, there is a little pivot there at the end of season five, which is significant. And, and, and it's, I would say that overall, my first podcast is not a spoiler. Instead, it's really a look at leadership and it's a look at building a team. Um, and, and bringing discipline to a team in a way that, uh, generates success and bringing everybody together and getting respect and all that. Um, and the closer was a phenomenal show. It got, it, it was like one of the highest rated cable shows, cable originated shows ever. Um, I am watching, a bo- I'm trying to binge through Bones and kind That's of catch up on that, which is entering its 11th season and it's, it's final season. It just put the last episode in the can. And that's women in, you know, that's, that's women in STEM careers. And we don't talk about bones. We don't talk about Emily D. Chanel at all. I guess I always looked at it as a procedural and then I just kind of, kind of moved on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you're right. It's true. Yep. And it's, and, and the, there's, there is significant diversity in there. I mean, they, they dabble not just in their main characters, but the supporting characters, even the, you know, just, uh, the episode to episode. They are making sure that they've got some good representation. Yeah, it's not the most serious show in the world, but, you know, we can look back now on Roseanne oh. and say, well, that wasn't a serious show. You were wrong. It is. Well. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that's. It, it sure had a lot of value. I never thought of Bones. Yeah. I, I don't even know if I really watched Bones. I just, yeah. I haven't had cable in so long. I would never think to put that on my Netflix queue because it's just. Yeah, but I would never uh, think to put it's it on. on it's on Cedral. Netflix. Like the way yeah. I don't watch Law and Order unless it's on. I, I think streaming, it changes your uh, habits when you have to uh-huh. pick. Yeah. It, yeah. And the Mariska Hargitay legacy of SVU is. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, um, know I've got a few more episodes of Cagney and Lacey that I have to work, you know, a few more installments that I need to focus on at some point. Um, and Sharon Glass is on Twitter now. And so it's kind of exciting. Oh, is that the best? Every once in a while she likes something that I tweet. And, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, the Cagney and Lacey, it, you wouldn't have SVU without Cagney and Lacey. You wouldn't have Cagney and Lacey without Charlie's Angels. You wouldn't have Charlie's Angels without, um, Policewoman, and you go back and you watch five minutes of Policewoman, and you first of all fall asleep, <laughs> and then you find out that you've thrown up because it's just so, it's so dated and it's so sad, and yet it's very it's fun to to trace, to trace the lineage, and and SVU, you know, you can call it a corny procedural, but um, and there are, there have been some some episodes when she had that. When they had that really evil stalker, mean murdering guy, and he held her hostage, and then she killed him, and then she was kind of rung up on charges, I got to the point where I had to turn that off. I could not keep watching that arc, and uh, and it was just it was very upsetting. It was oh yeah, she's great, and there's I mean if you're an actor and you can get a gig like that, oh my god, are you kidding? Like steady working actor. I've had interviewed so many people yeah. who are, are friends and yeah. people I've known who just like had paid rent because they can do some extra work or they could be like a wardrobe or just they get to work on that show in some facet for a small period of time <laughs> like it's <laughs> yeah that that show has kept yeah. a lot of actors employed as had you know i'm living in chicago yeah, yeah. now and we've got chicago they film that there? fire and chicago pd they film all those and... in chicago well, oh, that's that? pretty great 
Yeah, they do. Um, and I, uh, oh, I actually cool. en- enrolled as an extra. So, uh, <laughs> sent, sent my photo oh, and really all cool. sorts of information about myself. And I've gotten one sort of, are you available this one day? And I was like, no, that's the one day in the week. And I do can't you, do I, that. Do you watch uh, any of the superhero shows like Supergirl? It's too, yeah. They're, they're doing uh, a good no. job of diversity no. and they've introduced a uh, same, uh, same sex couple and. It's it's good. I actually don't love the show. It's a little corny. Cool. But it's but that's how Superman always was. But I do like uh, Flash and Arrow and Legends, so I I enjoy it. It's enjoyable. It's it's nice to. I mean, you're you got a lot ahead of you. <laughs> <laughs> I I kind of do better, you know. Even even like on a Netflix, you know, we're kind of walking through the Good Wife right now because that's a show that's gonna really. Um, I think that there's really some good quality lessons in there but it's going to take a few more years to kind of percolate and whether or not the good fight it's it's um uh it's spinoff kind of becomes something will kind of in part then even elevate the good wife's legacy even more um but you know i can get through like three episodes of that a night because all of a sudden you're talking 40 45 minutes a shot oh, and there's not enough hours but that's still a lot of time so. <laughs> not to watch tv <laughs> there are not 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 for I, us. I did now, like so. I'm trying. To, I never. There's this great PBS special. I think it's. It's like the golden age of television. Have you ever seen that? And there's one about. Yeah, that's great. And then I need to get Alan mm-hmm. Sevenwall's book, like the TV. Like it's like a book about the top 100 TV shows. I love that. There's just so many books and writers and an interview that you did actually. I loved with the mm-hmm. woman who wrote What Would Murphy Brown Do. Oh yes, Alison Klein. Yes. Yeah, that, I, I love that academics are looking at TV more and more. Because I remember being a kid and being like, I really love TV, but somehow people would make you feel like ashamed of that. Like, TV rots the brain, but now I'm like, TV's like the thing. Like, intellects watch TV. Like, you know, I mean, I, it's not all of Roseanne and Fresh Prince of the Bel Air anymore, but like, TV's good. I don't know when the start of that is. I guess some people right. argue it is like, this, I don't know, I guess the later generation might be the non-cable stuff, but even like go, looking back at like things like taxi is just like amazing. Like I got even like uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show or uh, Dick Van Dyke, that stuff's like really good. And then TV Bob Newhart. And then it feels like there was like some years where it was just bad and then some good stuff popped up. And now it's like this golden age. Yeah. And there is um, it, actually a, another um, idea for your interview more so yours than mine is there is a, a, a probably it's it, it was the TV show that was or a, a documentary based on a book called The Golden Age of Television, written by a professor uh, from Syracuse, and he talks about what is considered it was the second golden age of television, and it was kind of the movement in part sprung forth by Ooh. Grant Tinker and the Mary Tyler Moore Enterprises about quality television, and that's and it was sourced out of the growth of the Mary Tyler Moore show and all of those spinoffs. But then it sort of beget Stephen Bochco and Hill Street Blues and St. Elsewhere and the Lou Grant show and all of these different shows. And he as a professor, I think probably I, I, I've never spoken oh, to him I'm or anything, to but yeah. Did you get to see the um, Norman Lear documentary? I, uh, I knew that it was on and something was going on that day. So it's kind of one that I'm going to have to catch again fascinating and it, it perfectly yes. lines up with what you do uh and then follows some of his family life and just yep. really still still he has this funny joke he's like uh 
Yeah. Nothing changes when you turn 90 except people start listening to you. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. God, yeah, same one, right? Stole that from Benny you White. know, it's funny. My wife and I uh, watched <laughs> the first season of Gold. We got the first season. I live across the street from a library, which I recommend everyone do. It's the best. Um, yeah. So we got the season one of Golden Girls from the library, and we watched the entire first season. Now, I had not seen the Golden Girls as an adult because I only watched it with like my grandmother as a kid. Now I might have to question her judgment of the appropriateness mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. those watches. Uh, and, but, and then I, I learned that uh, <laughs> two people who went on to make TV I love, Mitch Hurwitz and Jim Vallely of Arrested Development fame, uh, came from the Golden Girls. And I was like kind of seeing some sure. of uh, – and then I've seen some of the later episodes too. And like I was like noticing some stuff like the seeds that would what become uh, Arrested Development with like this really fast, quick-witted dialogue and – but that show is just fucking hilarious. Like again, that would I don't, why couldn't that happen? It already happened once. Why can't yes. we get that again? Well, and I found mm. Hot in Cleveland, which again was TV Land. You know that was that came off a of cable. Um, I thought Hot in Cleveland was great. I thought it was it was it's a it's amazing that some of these things are not getting the green light yeah, yeah. on the yeah. legacy networks. How if you had the male equivalents of Valerie Bertinelli, Jane Leaves, Betty White, and Wendy Malick, if you had those male equivalents wanting to do a show on ABC, they would say no, you know, and that and that one of the producers was Sean Hayes from which is coming back. So anyway, you know, and and so I just track, I just kind of keep, I kind of keep an eye more on that stuff than just kind of the fact that there's good, there's good material coming on because I have to figure out. Mm. What, where is, where does the value fit in? And so, like Kate Mulgrew, who you don't, you've probably never heard that name. I'll be honest, I did not know the Star Trek stuff. Um, so Kate Mulgrew got her start on Ryan's Hope. And she has a great, great autobiography out, which was a very fun read. And she's a very, she's a very clever writer. Like the way Carrie Fisher was a clever writer. I give Kate Mulgrew a lot of credit. Um, that's an interview I'd love to do. And there's just, there's, there are lots of people who uh, over their careers now have touched so many really, um, significant things. And when she was Captain Janeway, amazing on Orange is the New Black. I mean, talk about female, all female, almost all female cast, female showrunner, female creator based off a book by a woman. Mm -hmm. And the last season was, eh, Mm -hmm. but the show itself is good. But I, I, my theory of the last season not being so great was more of, they lost all of their talent because they became too famous, which is the downside of television where they they lock yeah. you in with these seven-year contracts. But then, you know, uh, the woman who played Tasty went on to become like a Broadway star, as she deserves it. So she couldn't be in the show as much. Laverne Cox is now like the it girl, which is great. But then she wasn't getting to be in the show so much. But still, great show. I Do you happen to watch Girls? I'm curious yeah. to see, hear your thoughts on that show, because I heard you talked about seeing, like, flawed female characters. Uh, and Yeah. Um, again, that, that falls into the category of there is so much analysis out there already that I w- I'm going to sit on it for a couple of years more and see where Lena Dunham's career goes. And, um, and at some point, it, yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't even touch Sex in the City. Um, although there was a, there was a blog that I saw once and I actually engaged the woman who had written it and it was like 20 life lessons I learned from sex in the city. And I was like, well, that's clever. I mean, that's, Mm. that's kind of going in and cherry picking moments that, that were so well written 
I, I could go on at length about how the movies were so disappointing and who wrote those movies because it was not with the same eye toward quality that they had just meticulously groomed those seven seasons of Sex and the City. And, and, you know, I mean, that's, they all just should have handed their paychecks back after those two. I mean, and, and some of the issue was the timing. Um, it was mm-hmm. Sex and the City was a pre-recession kind of TV show. And, um, and, and they didn't know that the whole world was going to fall down as they were releasing the, the first movie. And, but anyway, you know, so again, four careers. Well, know. what happened to Kim Cattrall? Mm, nothing much. SJP, I think SJP is, on, uh, is, is solid for the rest of her career for whatever she wants to do. I've heard it's good. I haven't got to watch it yet. Yeah. The divorce. Yeah. Um, um, uh, Cynthia Nixon. I haven't heard too much from her lately, nor have I. We heard much from. Um, I don't know her name. Uh, played Charlotte York. Yeah. Kristen. Kristen Smith. Kristen. Yeah. Sometimes those people just turn around and do theater, and like they're working. We just they're not as public. But I, I don't know about them at all. I they were not people that I followed. Kim Cattrall. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Sorry, I do. Sarah Jessica Parker, she's been around forever. She was on uh, Square Pegs. Yeah, that's funny. That's, square uh, Pegs, Square Pegs, yeah. That's so great. <laughs> Speaking that's of so your great. youth, yes. <laughs> oh, wait. No, no you would have been. Yeah, but I, I, I grew up, like, nostalgia hit our gener- hit a little earlier for most because, like, we get all those, I love the 90s, I love the 80s, I love those 70s TV shows as I was, like, right in my prime, like, VH1. Oh, yeah. I love those. Yes, my kids, my, my kids. I watched so many of them and I watched a lot of Nick at Night with my parents and my grandparents. We never had that cable. Yeah, I watched a lot of Nick at Night for some reason. I don't know why. Strange. Like, but I guess, I mean, I used to like be a kid <laughs> and love Mork and Mindy even though it was like 40 years past my time. But I even remember thinking Happy Days was stupid when I was a kid. But thinking Mork and Mindy was fucking hilarious. So, who knows? <laughs> And well, I, I think I think we all learned that among among Robin Williams's diagnoses, ADD was clearly one of them, and Mork and Mindy made it okay. Good glimpse into his life. Uh, years ago, he did an episode of uh, WTF with Mark Marin, and he just talks about his drug usage. And mm. um, so, I work in the mental health field. Uh, so when I heard he had committed suicide, I was like or had Mm -hmm. taken his life. I wasn't surprised because I'm like, oh, I heard that episode. Like, he's suffered with drug addiction and depression his entire life. And it's just, I I understand people can come off as happy, but that's not always really it. And I was like, it was sad as all hell, but I was like, yeah, makes sense. After I heard that interview, I was like, oh, there are some demons in this man that we just never knew about. Or he's, but, uh, what a talent. Yeah. Yes, which leads me, I've almost totally, I've almost totally talked about all of my favorite as well as highly downloaded episodes, um, installments. And one is my profile of Patty Anna Duke, which you as a worker in the mental health field. Um, so in 1986, she was on Phil Don. So incredible career, incredible career, a career that literally she had a Britney Spears moment in the Emmy at the Emmys in 1970. And it's on YouTube for the whole world to see. She writes this book after finally being diagnosed as bipolar, except that in the early eighties, it was called manic depressive. 
And she writes the book. It becomes this huge bestseller. She's on Phil Donahue. And God bless Phil Donahue. He just knew how to do an interview. And the, the caliber of his show was so smart. And she starts talking about lithium. And I think that that's the first time a celebrity is on TV talking about lithium, talking with, with a fair amount of candor and, and, you know, clinical terminology about, about being bipolar. And, and then, and then that sort of became her cause, uh, you know, in the nineties and the two thousands. And then boom, she, you know, she dies of having gone septic after a, um, uh, oh what a obstructed bowel or a, an wow. intestinal something. But, but Patty Duke, so Pat, losing Patty Duke and Carrie Fisher in one year was actually pretty huge for the prominent mental health advocate community. Carrie Fisher's work with the mental health community was just, I think a lot of people learned how much she did when she died. Like she was so much more than Princess Leia. She was a script doctor. She was my favorite episode of, th- one of my yep. favorite episodes of 30 Rock is when she is on it. And then, just a great advocate, uh, a great human being. But uh, the funniest yep. thing about Carrie Fisher is that she has a dog named Gary Fisher. I just think that's the cutest thing. And then she wrote her book. And yes. Then- yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mean, and and so she, you know, we we saw that we saw that for real. Um, we we got to see, you know, Patty Duke brought it to a point of honesty. And what we need now is, you know, and and there's no question that that a bipolar diagnosis is very frequent in Hollywood, is very frequent in the music industry. And and every time somebody can take a step forward, whether it's Jim Carrey or somebody else, and admit it and continue to educate people and continue to encourage people to stay on their medications. And, and, and ultimately, it's going to be a very expensive pre-existing condition that – Either, either society helps take care of, or oh yeah, or it's not. And then, and then expands so much more than music and TV. Because I, so I've been working in mental health for six years, and I've still, and I almost never meet musicians, comedians, or actors. <laughs> is what the joke is. <laughs> no, no, of course, but yeah, I know my my boss was a, was a producer in Hollywood for a while before she became uh, a therapist, and that industry definitely attracts a lot of personality disorder and narcissistic but uh the mental health yeah. is so much more right. widespread than people ever yep. realize like it's it's everywhere it's not concentrated anywhere yep. especially in hollywood but i mean now it's everywhere you look into your average office it's going to be at least i don't know a good amount of people are suffering with stuff you're unaware of yeah so anyway that's it, it, it this is this, it's the stuff i like to cover anytime anytime you've got uh, celebrities who really have made it a part of their career to advance the cause of of um, either a disease or a, or a situation yeah, or whatever. They, I you know I, I kind of give them credit because they're um, they're kind of stepping out of their the uh, yeah, the, the little boy. Sorry, I don't remember his name, but Dustin from Stranger Things has some rare disease. He's like thirteen, and now he's already using that as a platform to speak up to help people. I'm like, good for you, man. Good for you. Good. That's awesome. Are you ever yeah. going to do Oprah? I can imagine yeah. that would take, you could probably do multiple episodes about Oprah. Or you could just listen to the uh, <laughs> podcast Making Oprah. It's like a three-part documentary series they did on WBEZ, which is just yeah. fascinating. 
If I if I ever get funded by a WBEZ or someplace, then yeah, yeah I'll I'll take on some of those big ones because then yeah. I can <laughs> some you know get the interviews that matter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so it's all, you know, it's all just a matter of building, building awareness, building my numbers, building the brand, uh, maintaining a high quality, both in terms of my audio production as well as my research. And, um, and I'm convinced, you know, there, there, there'll be many, many stories that I can continue telling and, and someday I'll work up to Oprah and, and the the big Cagney and Lacey one. My, my you are too young to yeah. know this. So uh, it's funny. Yeah, ask your mother next time you're talking to her. Did you ever notice that Sharon Glass? Uh, I don't know if you watch Brooklyn Nine Nine, but uh, Terry Crews has twin daughters named Cagney and Lacey. I think it's adorable. Yes, oh, yes. God, we, uh, my great. daughter and I were just watching that when she was here. Um, yeah. So. So that's kind of my, that's becoming my running question of why did Sharon Gluss wear so much yellow? And, and I want, I want my Twitter, my Twitter relationship with her to be such that then when I actually ask the question, it doesn't get blown uh, off. Is there anything so. else we uh, missed before we wrap it up? <laughs> Uh, no, you know, it's, uh, it's hosted at Libsyn and, um, and it's called Advanced TV Herstory. My Twitter handle is at TV Herstory without the word advanced. Um, and, but it, you know, I, I kind of feel like the advanced part is, is what separates me from just kind of putting out some, it's, it's a, it is definitely something where if the topic is something you're interested in, you're going to love it. But if you haven't watched a lot of TV, stick to the show on Betty White or Lucille Ball because, or Anita Hill, you know, there's, there's stuff, there's something there for everybody. I kind of think is it, it's also a clean show. Um, so you can really pretty much have it on, although the Anita Hill one does get a little, uh, a little spicy. Uh, him and him and those Coke cans. Ooh. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, uh, but it's it's good stuff, and I encourage uh, people to share it with the the older people in their lives who who for whom these names really actually mean some things, and the younger people as well, because there's always something involved in the in the storytelling that relates to where we are today, or it at least helps create some context. Oh well, thank you so much for doing this. This is uh, a ton of fun. All right. Excellent. Well, thanks. Thanks for your time and thanks for arranging this.